Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Well, good morning. It is a very, very rainy day in the state of Florida. And uh, Jimmy Patronis, who is Florida's uh, chief financial officer and state fire marshal, tweeted this 35 minutes ago. We've got urban search and rescue personnel staged throughout the state ready to respond to this event. They have paramedics and structural engineers paired with them to save and protect lives. This will be a category four, a big storm, and it has to be taken very seriously. So Jimmy Petronas joins me now. Good morning, sir. And uh, thank you so much for your efforts for the state of Florida. And what can you tell us about the approaching hurricane? Hey, Jenna, thank you. So so the storm has made landfall on an area called Keaton Beach. Um, it is uh, it is it is did downgrade to a Cat 3 just uh, just a few minutes ago. So, again, that part of the state is seeing a historic storm surge. Uh, in addition, you've got parts of areas that people are more familiar with, uh, Tampa Bay, Clearwater, St. Petersburg, it had um, it had record flooding. Those parts of the state during Hurricane Irma and Ian, the, actually the water, because of the, the direction of the storm, the water got sucked out of Tampa Bay. Opposite now is because of where the storm stayed offshore. They got it got surged with with storm water. So again, a different battle rhythm. But like I said, we've got 900 urban search and rescue first responders that are eager to hit the roads. Uh, to make their way to save lives. We just got to let the wind die down just a little bit so we don't put them in harm's way. Yeah, and so so talk, um, Jimmy Petronas, about the search and rescue efforts and, and what the preparation for something like this. I mean, obviously, uh, Florida is no stranger to hurricanes, and so this has become um, almost a, a routine uh, with the the disaster preparations uh, from uh, you and the governor's office. And, and of course, he's doing a lot of press conferences helping uh, with those efforts. Um, so what was the preparation like before? And then how do they move in after to help the affected areas? Sure. So what, like what we did in this particular case, it's pretty common that we will use the Orange County Convention Center. That's Orlando. Uh, for our staging area, they got massive exhibition halls. So literally, we can put, you know, boats, uh, ambulances, fire engines. There's plenty of room to bed down. So we will pre-stage 24 hours prior to the storm making landfall there. It, it's got good road access out, and then we will deploy out from that spot. So we have got eight teams in the state of Florida. We've had several national teams that FEMA has activated that have come in that are also bedding down with those men and women. Uh, and then you've got some of those teams. So, like, you've got Task Force 3, which is in Tampa. Uh, it is red. That means we're not going to deploy it out because Tampa being a particular area of concern because it was in the path of the storm. So, again, 
those resources are ready to, to go as soon as, as we get safe wind conditions. Um, and as you said a minute ago, we have got bed, uh, embedded with them trauma surgeons and also structural engineers. You've got to be able to make sure the building is safe to enter into it. They also have 54 canines with them. The dogs are an amazing resource because of their ability to detect life, and it tells our urban search and rescue guys exactly where to go. It's it's incredible, and and the work that all of these uh, first responders are doing um, is just is wonderful, and we thank them so much, um, and you and everyone else in the administration for your service. I'm talking with Jimmy Petronas, who is Florida's chief financial officer and state fire marshal. So a lot of people online have been comparing. Uh, this this hurricane, where it's making landfall specifically, um, you know, with some of those smaller, um, you know, key areas that are just offshore, they've been comparing this with um, Hurricane Ian from last year. Um, where the the eye of the storm and the worst part of this is going to be, um, is that going to create probably as much damage or or be similar at least to some of those videos that I saw one where there was just a massive, it looked like um, the ocean was just taking out an entire building uh, from Hurricane Ian last year. So the, the, the only silver lining comparing the two storms, in my opinion, is that they, uh, there's affected areas by storm surge. Um, there was not the, the wind problems there but the area of impact in taylor county taylor county's got about twenty-two thousand people in taylor county when you compare it to there's twenty-two thousand people just on fort myers beach so again the the population density between those two markets um you know there's there's less lives impacted by where this storm is making landfall uh that means there's going to be less insurance claims there's going to be less dollar amount in damages. So so the recovery financially, the, the recovery for people uh, in affected areas is going to have a less of an economic impact on the state. Um, Fort Myers and Hurricane Ian was, was the most expensive hurricane in the history of the state of Florida. Wow, that's just, it's incredible what uh, what nature is, is capable of. And uh, and then speaking of the people who are in these affected areas, um, do you know at this time if the people who are in the evacuation areas um, have been able to evacuate? Have there pe- been people who are just saying, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to stay put and ignore those orders, which, um, of course, no one recommends. Um, but are we concerned at all about anyone um, that may have stayed in some of those areas? A hundred percent. So you know, one thing that I learned in my first hurricane uh, as, as this capacity to state, we have to open up an enormous amount of, of special needs shelters, and sometimes those shelters are pet shelters. Uh, people will not evacuate if they can't take their animals with them. So we have had to go and create more uh, diversity to our shelters in order to make them where people say, you know what, it's time to take the dogs and let's go and, and we'll evacuate. So, so that's one way we have tried to appeal to people to err on the side of safety. The other, the other drama that you have is, is people who, in this part of the state, haven't seen a storm in a long time. They have been familiar with Category 1s or Category 2s. Ah, you know what? I can, I can weather the storm. And people don't want to leave their stuff. And, and Jenna, it frustrates me. I tell people all the time, is I can replace your stuff, but I can't replace you. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, I can tell you, the people of Fort Myers Beach will not stay if another hurricane threatens.
of Mexico Beach, they will not stay if another hurricane threatens them simply because, you know, you can't take the risk. And unfortunately, this part of the state hasn't experienced the storm in a long time. And I hope they heeded the warning that the silver lining is, is the population density there is, is, is pretty low. Yeah, I, I really hope they're heeding the warnings as well. And and you mentioned uh, the ability for people to take their pets with them to these shelters. Um, Governor DeSantis signed legislation uh, to that effect that um, that that I think required uh, some of these shelters to allow to be pet friendly. And uh, said yesterday at a press conference, you know, people take your animals; they need you. Um, as a dog person myself, I've I've had um, you know a number of dogs in my life and and my family. I mean, they are part of your family. And so that was one great thing um, that I saw that I was I was really happy about because it would um, it would be a really difficult decision um, for someone to to leave their pet and you feel like you're leaving someone behind. Um, and, and so that was a, a wonderful thing. And so. Um, one of the other things that that I saw on um, some of the forecast projections, and I don't I, and I don't know what you're hearing, at least, is that there's a potential after this storm goes um, through it, you know, makes landfall and then it goes back out into the Atlantic. Um, it could a couple of projections are actually um, saying that it might turn around and come back and hit. Uh, Florida's east side, and apparently that's happened a couple times. This is my hurricane, my first hurricane as a resident of the state of Florida, um, and so you know I, I was doing some of the preparation yesterday. But um, that was kind of a, a new thing that I didn't realize that that was even a potential. Um, is that what's being projected so far, or how do you analyze this um, in terms of the dis- the uh, disaster response preparation? Yeah, I, I saw that particular spaghetti model, and you know sometimes. Those guys, you know, I'm convinced um, there's a shock value to it. And I'm thinking, man, please, please don't post stuff like that and get people spun up. But, but uh, let me tell you something, strangers. There, we had years ago, I'm dating myself, we had a hurricane called Hurricane Elena. And a Hurricane Elena came up into the Gulf of Mexico. It came towards Apalachicola, and it went down towards Pensacola and then back towards Apalachicola. So, again, storms. Or can have amazing uh, uh, directions that they can they can go because of the weather conditions around them. But again, it, it can it happen? Yes, it has happened in the past. Yes, so yeah, a storm can hit the same area, the same state twice. But again, when I see those models, I go, oh my gosh, you're you're really going to to give me heart failure when you you pitch those type of you know trajectories that that uh, that. Yeah, could it happen? Sure could. Really good. Yeah, and, and last question for you, sir, and I so appreciate your time updating us this morning. I'm speaking sure. with uh, Jimmy Patronis, who is the state fire marshal and Florida's chief uh, financial officer. Um, so where should people go for the best information instead of looking at, you know, other people posting online or, you know, anchors or, I mean, people like me, I'm not a, I'm not a weather expert, you know, so, I mean, that's why we bring um, people like you who are actually on the ground, know what's going on, have talked to people who, who know what they're doing. Where should uh, Florida residents or anyone who uh, may be affected by this storm go for accurate and timely information? Sure. So you can, you know, our website, I wear a number of different hats. Um, we, we do the urban search and rescue piece, but I also do consumer services for insurance. So you'll want to, you know, one is, is if you think you're going to be 
in uh, a position where you're going to need to file an insurance claim, I promise you, if you contact my office at one eight seven seven my flcfo you contact your insurance agent or your insurance carrier, I promise you there's no way you can be taken advantage of. Unfortunately, after storms, there are people are, just to your point, they're incredibly vulnerable. They, they are, are overwhelmed with grief. They have, uh, you know, a, 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 a lot of a misunderstanding of how to move forward after this. You know, if you'll make one of your first phone calls to one of those three parties I just told you, I promise you we'll hold your hand through the recovery process. The predators that come out after a storm, they're some of the worst in society. They come out when people are, like I said, incredibly disadvantaged, and they make poor decisions because they don't know any better. So, again, you can go to preparefl.com. That's our state's emergency preparedness website that my office maintains. Uh, the state's division of emergency management also is given regular updates. But as we move forward, we will start uh, a, a resource uh, of, of services to those affected parties. will probably be set up in, in Taylor County in Perry here. Uh, shortly, simply because that's probably where the biggest population center is that's been affected by this storm. Well, thank you so much, sir, for your work and for uh, protecting everyone as best that you can. And um, thank you so much to, to all of the first responders. And uh, we really, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Jenna. And if people want to help, they can visit the volunteerflorida.com website and uh, make a donation there. We sure appreciate it. Excellent. All right. Volunteer Florida uh, website. So if, if anyone wants to help, and uh, that was Jimmy Patronis, who is uh, Florida's chief financial officer and the chief uh, fire marshal. And uh, you can also follow the Florida Division of Emergency Management. Uh, this is at F-L-S-E-R-T. Um, I, as a resident of Florida, now have uh, them on alert. And these are official communications, not just what you know people are posting on websites. Or uh, you know, I, I had a thread yesterday of, "Hey, give me the best hurricane." Um, advice go and you know some of the comments were meant to be funny but obviously you know when you when you're looking at um, whether you should evacuate what you need to do in these types of situations always get the official advice know what you're doing make a plan and make sure that you are uh, obeying the the officials who do want to help I mean this is not um, you know, anybody who's telling you to wear a mask, this is something that could be life-saving. So uh, Governor DeSantis is also uh, posting, so follow him on social media for updates as well. We're praying for everyone in Florida. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And yesterday in Colorado, a 12-year-old student was kicked out of class in Colorado Springs for having a Gadsden flag patch. Of course, that's the don't tread on me flag, which the school actually claimed had origins with slavery. The school's director said via email that the patch was, quote, disruptive to the classroom environment. They uh, cited the um, U.S. Uh, EEOC, which is apparently has said that the flag 
originated in the Revolutionary War in a non-racial context, but then said, whatever the historic origins and meaning of the symbol, it has also since been sometimes interpreted to convey racially tinged messages. And so the director then argued that the flag is associated with hate groups, linking to a an article that cites a graphic design scholar who knew that those those were uh, people, graphic design scholars, who claimed that some may now see the flag as a symbol of intolerance and hate or even racism. So uh, the video of this exchange between uh, the mom of this young boy, uh, Jaden, I think is how he pronounces his name, uh, J-A-I-D-E-N, uh, Jaden and the school director was posted online and currently has over 9.6 million views that are just rallying around this young patriot who said that he just wanted to stand up for what he believes in freedom, loving his country. Uh, but listen t- to this exchange in a conference room right after they pulled this 12 year old boy out of class. Listen to this. Thank you. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? That it's a historical flag? So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag displayed, mm-hmm. is due to its origins with the slavery and slave trade. That is what was, um, that's the reasoning behind them. No, it's like the Gadsden flag. The don't tread on me. Okay. Which is the yes and Okay. Um, okay. So he he um, he's what's gonna happen if he doesn't take it off? He I mean he is able to go. I was actually just telling him like I was upset that he was missing so much school. I'm like ah so I asked if can he just take his stuff out of his bag and go back to class? <laughs> like I just want him to go back to class. The bag can't go back. It's got a patch on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I was trying. And then he said you were close. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like that wasn't, that's the revolution. Maybe you're thinking of like the um, the Confederate pet, our Confederate flag. Okay, I, so I am here to enforce the policy that was provided okay. by the district. Okay. And definitely, you have every right to not agree with it. I mean, yeah, because yeah, the ACLU says that he's allowed to wear that. If you like go on their website, it like says in big so letters. I, all, I, all I'm saying is that unless there's like a ban on patches, period. Like you said, there's no patches allowed at the school. You cannot display what you think or anything like that, or what cheer or anything like that. Um, I, I don't. I think it's like one-sided, you know, because. You allow some patches, but not other, other patches. Other have patches, like other names, and like the American flag and backpacks. Yeah. That was like flown during the revolution. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't understand that at all. So what I can do is if you, you, you go onto the ACLU's website, side, yeah, let's let's talk to I can, I can have you speak to. I can have you speak to Jeff Yoakum again. Um, and then he can refer you to our person at the district. Okay. Um, because, like I said, we're following district policy, okay. is what we're doing. So, the last thing I want is him out of class. Yeah, like, I know that's he all, like, He, he takes his classes seriously, yes. he studies, he, do, he wants to get straight A's, he did that 
he made audible when he was here before. Yeah. He intends to do that again right now, but it's hard because he keeps missing class for this. So I understand that. Yeah, and I mean, we teach him to always stick up for your beliefs. And I mean, you're going over the revolution this for seventh grade. I mean, the founding fathers stood up for what they believed in against unjust laws. This is unjust. Okay, I, like I said, we are upholding a policy that was provided to us, which we have to uphold. Okay. Right, so go mom, right? So she's supporting her son in this uh, in this meeting with this, you know, totally in my my view absurd policy. And this woman who clearly doesn't even want to have a conversation. There's no appeal. It's just, well, sorry, I don't want him to miss class. So, uh, so we're going to you know force this policy that that is ridiculous on your son. But um, mom there was doing a great job standing up for her son. And then according to um, the the posts online, apparently uh, Jaden left class, wanted to go to media, went over to one of the news networks um, in Colorado Springs who didn't want to hear from him. So social media rallied and this went viral uh, yesterday and uh, there's been a great result. But I want to bring in my good friend Jim Pfaff, who is a um, a political GOP political consultant and um, actually a Spaces host on social media, so has a lot of uh, familiarity with things going viral and was actually the first one that I saw um, to have Governor Jared Polis out of Colorado actually respond. So good morning, Jim, and thanks so much for joining me. Hey, glad to be here, Jenna. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, so Jared Polis ended up responding uh, to your tweet asking um, asking him for to respond, and he said the the Gadsden flag is a proud symbol of the American Revolution and an iconic warning to Britain or any government not to violate the liberties of Americans. It appears on popular American medallions and challenge coins through today, and Ben Franklin also adopted it to symbolize the union of the thirteen colonies. It's a great teaching moment for a history lesson. So he posts this, but a lot of people are asking, is he going to do anything about this? You know, he's he's limited in what he can do. In in Colorado, uh, local education, there, there are two major aspects of education in Colorado. One is there is a state board of education filled with elected officials. And uh, Jared Polis was one of those, by the way, between 2000 and 2006. Um, but also there's there are uh, local control like a home rule, it's a home rule local control state. So ostensibly, even though it's kind of changing in Colorado a little bit in recent years, uh, you know, that home rule thing keeps the state from encroaching upon many local governing principles. So unlike a lot of states in this country. So he's limited in what he can do, but he certainly has a platform. And he's been an advocate in the past for charter schools, and I think honestly so, even though with a mixed record, but certainly much better than most Democrats. So a lot that he could do is not just respond to me. And, and we have a friendly relationship and have had for many years. That's why I called out, called him out. But uh, he could really use that bully pulpit to say this kind of stuff's got to stop. Absolutely. And I think um, what's so frustrating is that, you know, the mom was was right to say that, uh, you know, if, if this had been, you know, some other type of, of flag and, and there were a lot of people online that were saying, you know, if, if, if this 12 year old kid had had, for example, the rainbow flag or the BLM flag, would he have gotten pulled aside? And, you know, would right. this particular uh, policy apply to him or not? And so um, so I think what, what a lot of people are just feeling is that conservatives are just being targeted. 
targeted. And this is a 12-year-old kid with a don't tread on me patch. I mean, if, if he had the, the, the U.S. flag as a patch, are we going to now say that that's somehow, you know, symbol of hate and racism, according to what a school district says? Yeah, and by the way, the, the history lesson, let's, let's extend it just a little bit further. Ben Franklin, uh, as, as Jared referred to, used the snake as a symbol for unity amongst the colonies. Well, the Gadsden flag was in part uh, uh, inspired by that. So it, there's a symbol of a snake on the Gadsden flag. And uh, Ben Franklin said, you know, we could be a snake, like we could be as powerful and uh, uh, capable and scary as a snake if we would just join together. What is at stake here right now in this country, and I think this incident symbolizes it, is that we have government power saying that if you oppose it in any fashion, and this is happening at every level of government, then you are an insurrectionist. I mean, let's, let's just put it in those terms. They think you're an insurrectionist if you push back on government authority. It's just the opposite. This country was founded on the authority of the people to oversee government. And that's really what's at stake here. That's why the Gadsden flag bothers them, as opposed to, say, a rainbow flag, which says you're an intolerant human being who needs to be put down if you don't believe in transgenderism. Well, listen, we can learn to all live together, maybe, under an equal set of laws. But that does not mean that your life choices, particularly gen- transgenderism, has to be called out as, ex- as acceptable. I don't accept it as a believer in Christ. I have a real problem with transgenderism. But that's, that's, a, that's what's going on here. The government wants control, and we need to take it back from them. We need to be standing up like a snake, the threat of a snake, because it's our rights, not theirs. Really well said, uh, Jim Pfaff, who is a GOP political consultant and former Capitol Hill uh, chief of staff. And you know, th- this really is about the about compliance or standing up to government. And those patches, according to the school district, are symbolizing kind of are you willing to be compliant and just go along with the narrative that the government prefers? Or are we going to try to squelch any possible ray of rebellion that we perceive, even if it's as innocent and American as as a patch on a 12-year-old's backpack going to school. I mean, I guarantee that probably most of those students in that class didn't even know what that means. They have no idea the history. They maybe would say, oh, look, there's a snake on a flag, or they've maybe seen it, you know, flying somewhere, maybe in Colorado. But, um, you know, but most people, most college students don't even know the history of the Gadsden flag. So so what can we do? Because this is, uh, and, it, and especially people in Colorado, um, because this is a battle for the ideology of our founding fathers that said, we the people have ownership of our government, and it's the government's responsibility to preserve and protect our rights. That's their only legitimacy. They, they are acting illegitimately when they are trying to force compliance to their preferred narrative against the will of the people. And we have this now ideological tension point between the extreme leftists and the right. So in the context just of of Colorado in this incident, um, where is Colorado in particular headed and and how can we across the board uh, start to stand up and say, you know, we're not going to get tread on? Well, again, I I reemphasize in terms of Colorado, 
that they do have local control of schools. So we need a mass movement, which I, I know I've been calling for in the 30 years that I've been engaged in the political system at every level of government, is we need to take over the school boards. I was the uh, a, a city council member in Woodland Park, Colorado, just up the road from Colorado Springs there. There was a recent effort and, an, and a takeover of the school board up there. And then you had NBC News coming down to try to go after these people. And, you know, I don't know. I don't I know all the people that, that went on there. And there, there were a couple of things I thought they could have done better. But the fact is, they did take a stand and they took over the board and they said, no, we want to assert the rights of parents in this system, not the rights of government or the school. So we need to that effort needs to propagate around the country. We've seen encouraging starts in Virginia and other places that needs to expand. And Colorado is a great place to do that because of local control. Beyond that, we do need to recognize and start standing up for the principle that comes in the preamble of the Constitution. It doesn't start the government sets into place anything. It says we the people in order to form a more perfect union. We are the sovereigns, not the federal government, not your state government, not your local government. Ultimately, the American people are the sovereigns. So we've got to organize like we did with the Tea Party movement in 2010. We need to do it in a bigger way. And we also need to be fearless because right now, in a post-January 6, 2021 world, we have government actors, elected officials, bureaucrats, and even the media who are trying to intimidate Americans into believing that if you oppose the government, you're an insurrectionist. That's absolutely false. The people who did violence on the Capitol then certainly broke laws. But the vast majority of the people that were in and around that facility were patriotic Americans who were trying to say, we're concerned about where things are going. That part of the effort cannot stop. That nonviolent, purposeful, peaceful protest against government where we're running for office and we're going to our elected officials in mass and firmly saying, no, this is our government, not yours. And we elected you, and we demand that you listen to what we have to say, a redress of grievances, as is uh, guaranteed in the, in the Bill of Rights. That's the effort that we need to take. It's multifaceted, but that, that's what we got to understand we need to do, and we need to be fearless about it, like this parent. Absolutely, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with you, Jim. And you know now when they are even going so far as with this new um, indictment in Georgia to criminalize the practice of law and on behalf of uh, clients and candidates uh, for for public office and the highest office in the land, uh, attempting to criminalize that petition of redress and going to your government and asking, did you follow the rules? Um, I mean, this is just an amazing moment in American history. And we need to stand firm that we, the people, um, are the sovereign and that we uh, do have the ability to structure our government according uh, to the U.S. Constitution and their provisions of how we can uh, change power and, and take power away from the petty tyrants. And we need to be uh, more educated and more concerned about how actually uh, we can get this done. So really appreciate that. Everyone should follow Jim Baff on uh, social media on Twitter um, now called X or whatever um, at J I M. 
P-F-A-F-F. And uh, there are some great spaces that I've been a part of that Jim has hosted. Uh, But this story did end well yesterday. The student returned with the patch still visible on his backpack after an emergency meeting. The Vanguard School Board said they informed the student's family he may attend school with the Gadsden flag patch visible on his backpack. So sometimes there's a win when you just stand up and you do the right thing. So well done, Jaden and Jaden's mom. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we've been talking about um, this idea of standing up for truth and making sure that we particularly in America understand uh, what our rights are, that they come from God, our creator, not our government. And, you know, I read um, a lot of different articles across um, the, the whole political spectrum. And, and of course, um, from people I agree with and disagree with. And um, and I found this, you know, really interesting um, from the Catholic News Agency uh, yesterday. The headline says Pope Francis laments when ideology replaces faith in a segment of U.S. Catholics. And um, this was fascinating to me because I, I think he's actually right. And and I go um, down, you know, through this article that I would encourage you to read. I think it's really interesting. Um, but he was, it was uh, made during um, a meeting with Jesuits, apparently on August 5th in Portugal. And um, he was saying that the situation in the United States is not easy um, due to, quote, a very strong reactionary attitude, which is organ organized and shapes the way uh, people belong even emotionally. And so the attitude he noted is useless and we need to understand that there is an appropriate evolution in the understanding of matters of faith and morals. And um, and then he goes along to talk about, you know, doctrine progresses, which I, I disagree with that. I think that the, you know, the, the word of God is um, true yesterday, today and forever. But the fundamental premise um, and, and this is where, you know, we need to be discerning readers, right, because we can agree with an overall premise. But then if it's articulated or applied in a way we disagree with, then we can go back and say, no, 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 that's not true. But the but the headline itself that ideology is replacing faith. Um, I think is true. And the application I would make is to say that a lot of people are replacing political ideology and some of these other worldviews that are not born out of our biblical faith and understanding and are not born out of our doctrine and understanding of the word of God, but are piecemealed together to say, okay, well, I want to have these political perspectives. I want to have these educational perspectives. I want to have these philosophical perspectives. And those different ideologies then are replacing our faith and understanding of the biblical, truthful, rightful worldview. And then we end up having this completely distorted and incoherent view of the world and that that ultimately becomes our policy. It becomes how we practice our faith. And, uh, and then really it's totally disjointed and we become less effective advocates in the world. So my good friend, uh, Father Frank Pavone joins me now. He's the director of Priests for Life and uh, a great friend to the show and also to me personally. Um, He's just been a very, very dear friend for years. Um, And so Frank, thanks so much for joining me. And um, what's your view on this, this whole idea of ideology replacing faith 
in a segment of uh, particularly U.S. Catholics, as, as Pope Francis said, but I think this could be applied generally across the board, um, even to you know evangelicals and, and people generally in uh, the Christian faith in America. Yes, well, thank you, Jenna, for having me on. It's great to be on with you again, and uh, let me just start by expressing our strong support for you in prayer and action, especially during these crazy days uh, when we see the ideology of the left sort of uh, just oppressing all of us and uh, persecuting us in so many ways. Uh, you know, I, I worked for a while in the Vatican, and uh, and I've been leading priests for life for 30 years. So this this comment of the Pope and your reflections on it are, are very helpful and timely, because, you know, we as a church, we as disciples of Jesus Christ, have to influence uh, a public policy. We have to be engaged in politics. Uh, but the difference is this. We've, our starting point, our platform is always Jesus Christ and his gospel. Uh, you know, when people have told me over the years, for example, oh, well, you know, you're being too partisan, I say, look, you know, we don't stand on the platform of the Democrat Party or the Republican Party. We stand on the platform of Jesus Christ. And uh, when that teaching is articulated and is clear, it is, as, as, as the letter of the Hebrews tells us, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it discerns the thoughts and motives of the heart. And so it cuts across political lines, it cuts across ideological lines, and it challenges everybody. Now, if that remains our stable platform, we are going to be able to speak into the world of politics. We're going to be able to transform public policy, but it's going to be the faith in action, the faith transforming the world. It's not going to be, oh, I'm attached to this or that particular ideology or party or movement or cause. And then, like you said so well, it, it, then everything becomes fragmented because you know, parties change and, and, and people change and, and, and ideological groups change. And then where are you? You're without a, you're without a rudder. You know, our rudder, Jesus Christ, the same always, yesterday, today, and forever. Perhaps a, a listless vessel, as as uh, as one yeah. of the GOP candidates said the other day. I think that's uh, that's very apt because uh, that that was an expression of exactly what you're saying and why we as Christians need to have as a firm foundation the truth of Christ's gospel. And we need to have um, the biblical worldview that, as you just said, does not change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then we will stand firm and be able to withstand the false doctrines, the false applications, the false iterations of culture, wherever they may come from. And whether that's from the left or from the right or from wherever, then we can discern rightly and we can rightly divide truth from error. But what we're seeing and, and I think um, why this particular piece was um, was to me very profound is because I'm seeing the same thing among the uh, politicos, particularly in America, that we are so fragmented by groups and tribes and where we want to be seen in terms of political affiliation that once we attach ourselves to a group, whether it's a political party or, you know, it's it's one of these these other factions, uh, then where the group goes, then we tend to go. And so rather than saying, well, wait a minute, I, I will agree with you insofar as you reflect the truth and you stand on truth, but the moment that the group is in error, like, for example, the Republican Party accepting um, the LGBT 
LGBTQ agenda and saying, well, we need to openly embrace homosexual marriage. Um, There are a lot of Republicans saying that. Then we're not going to say, well, just because I'm a registered Republican, then I'm going to go along with that. And well, hey, that's that's my party. I got to agree with their platform. I got to vote Republican no matter what. Or the Democrats on the other side, if 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 they if there are Christians that are still Democrats, um, which I think is a contradiction in and of itself. But if there are still Christians that are Democrats, they need to reject the the pro-abortion, insane, anti-life policies from their party and say, no, I'm standing firm on the truth of the word of God. How have we become so focused on political parties, uh, Frank Pavone, that we are failing to recognize that the only camp that we 100% belong to is that our identity is wholly in Christ alone. Yeah, exactly. Well, if we're weak in our prayer life, if we, if we, uh, uh, like our Lord said, where your treasure is there, will your heart be also. I think a lot of the people who are doing this, you know, you get power, you get fame, you get treasure. And it's like where your treasure is there, will your heart be? We have to keep guard over our hearts and, and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, as, I'm, as I'm following Christ, uh, that path may lead me to a point where I completely lose a popularity. I lose my positions. I lose my uh, affirmation uh, personally or professionally. You know, you and I both have been living through this kind of thing together with many, many others who, who are, you know, we be, we're deprived of a lot of earthly comforts and earthly uh, applause. Uh, and that's where it's a judgment of the heart each and every day. We have to be renewing our discipleship. We have to say each day as if for the first time, Lord, I'm following you. Now, how that connects with public policy, you gave a couple of great examples. You know, I'm working full-time on the, on the abortion problem, and it's like, you, you know, some people deal with it as if it's just a matter of policy. No, this is one of those policies, and there are several of them, where the policy and the principle merge. In other words, let's take, for example, uh, securing peace in the world. My goodness, that's a, big, that's a big goal, and there's a lot of complexity as to how you do that. How does that translate into, you know, our relationship with Israel, with Taiwan, with China, with Russia. How do you work that out? Well, different people who are embracing the same goal of peace can end up legitimately with different policy ideas. But when it comes to something like killing a baby in the womb, the principle is the policy. I mean, there's no way to embrace the principle of the sanctity of life without holding to a clear policy that you're going to refrain from violence. You're going to protect these babies. So certain issues, the principles of the gospel, uh, the tenets of our faith become identical to the policy position we need to take. And those, that's why those become the litmus tests in many ways uh, for Christians in politics. Look, look at where they are on the, the non-negotiable issues. Uh, and then, and then uh, if we're not anchored there, well, a lot of other things are going to be out of place as well. Really well said. Uh, Frank Pavone is the director of Priests for Life. And and I think you hit on something that is incredibly important because so often everyone in politics will say everything is debatable. Everything is debatable because they can point to examples to say, well, this particular policy isn't necessarily right or wrong. It's a matter of wisdom. And so it is a debatable policy. Should we or should we not? But the threshold question is, can you morally, can you constitutionally uh, under our system? But in terms of the moral question and the principle of whether we are following 
the biblical worldview and we are enacting in our policy our principles that are founded in the truth of the gospel of Christ, we have to discern and rightly divide what is a matter of truth versus falsity, right versus wrong, moral versus immoral. Those things are not debatable. Like the issue of abortion, it is just not debatable. And then we can say, but there are a few things that are in-house debates, some things that are just a matter of wisdom, that it's not a matter um, necessarily of right or wrong. It's just a matter, it could even be just of preference or how, you know, we want to, um, to, to create this policy that will best uh, shape how we understand our governing principles and how we can best uh, put forward liberty and and some of those things like what our founders debated. I mean, they could have had a different constitution. They debated that. I mean, whether a constitutional republic is the best form of government, I think that's that's debatable in a given society, right? They did that. They debated that, but they were all unanimously uh, th- agreeing that the purpose of government is to preserve and protect our rights, that human beings are made in God's image, all of those things that aren't debatable. So, you know, I I think that the the right as a whole, um, which is basically anybody who's not extreme leftist, needs to come back to this proposition of what is reality, what is firm, what is absolutely fundamental, and, and go from there instead of assuming that everything is debatable. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, one of the principles that uh, I, I know we in the Catholic community and, and many other Christians uh, are articulate is it's very simply this. Uh, judge it by the, the, the good of the human person. In other words, economic systems, political systems, uh, educational systems, businesses, whatever it is, exist for the good of the person, not the other way around. If you switch it the other way around, that the person just exists, you know, for the 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 economic success of the business or the good of the state. Well, now you're talking about a, you know, Marxist communist regime that has no regard for human dignity and is just looking at basically the person as a, as a cog in the wheel. Um, that's, that's an extremely key way that Christianity revolutionizes politics, that it's the good of the human person, that everything else, all these structures and processes and institutions, are supposed to serve. Uh, another key principle, uh, you know, when 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 people try and a lot of pastors, you know, they're afraid to address these public policy issues, and they they're afraid that they're going to be seen as partisan. And I say to them, look, just do this little litmus test. If you're talking about a particular issue, um, uh, abortion or or any of these other topics, uh, ask yourself, would my message change? If the Republican and Democrat parties swapped positions tomorrow on the issue that I'm trying to address, and if your answer is, well, no, my message wouldn't change, we have to protect the unborn, well, then you're being nonpartisan. In other words, what I say, when I articulate a moral truth, if it's going to help or hurt a particular candidate, if it's going to help or hurt a particular political party, that's not my fault or, or, or my accomplishment, that depends on where they stand on the issue. And if they swap their positions, okay, guys, now my message, yesterday my message helped you, today it's going to hurt you, or vice versa. That's because of you, not because of me. I'm standing, like we said before, on the platform of the, the gospel of Christ. 
Yeah, really, really well said. Uh, Again, because we do need to have more Christians that are willing to stand boldly, even if it is in opposition to their preferred political party or candidate. We have to first discern and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not the grace and knowledge of a political party or a certain candidate. And this is where it's it's really concerning to me that I see more people that are proud to be Americans than they are proud to be Christians. And while I'm very proud of my country, I am first and foremost, my identity isn't in being an American or being part of a political party. My identity is in Christ. So we need to make sure uh, to continue to always promote the truth of the gospel of Christ. Follow Father Frank Pavone on X on social media, Director of Priests for Life. You can always reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net and make it a great day. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.